Amen. So good to see folks here tonight. Um, Just a reminder, this Friday at noon, we're going to have a Good Friday communion service. So come on out over your lunch hour and uh, invite some friends. And uh, we're going to remember Christ and what he did this Friday over the noon hour. So come on over. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday coming up, 9 and 11. Um, As I said Sunday... People will come to church this Sunday. All you got to do is invite them. And this is the most uh, church-attended Sunday of the year coming up. So ask people to come, and they, and they, will, they will come with you to church. So um, pray about that and, and bring them with you. Tonight, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 3. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. There's a Bible under the seat in front of you. That would be page 387. 387. We're going to consider the reign of King Solomon tonight. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, you are able to do above and beyond all that we can imagine or think or ask. You are such a generous God. Such a loving God. So gracious towards us. Father, I want to thank you for the principles that we learn in your word. And Lord, for the examples in your word of those principles lived out in an actual life. I pray that we would understand these principles and we'd apply them to our own lives. Speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon has just become king of the United Kingdom of Israel. Fresh on the throne. Let's look what he does to begin his kingdom. Verse 1, it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Solomon was somewhere between the ages of 16 and 20 years old when he became king. Now, how would you like to take over a nation at the age of 20 or 16? Very daunting, extremely intimidating. 
He was young. He was inexperienced. He's thrust into all these pressures of being a king. And verse 3 says that he loved the Lord. He's a young man of faith. There's no doubt. He's walking in the statutes of his father, David, before him. So he's a great, good, godly man of faith. But he is scared. He's intimidated. Dealing with the pressures of leading a nation at such a young age. There were international issues. How do you deal with all the kingdoms around you, even those that are hostile? And you see here in verse 1 that he actually went into a treaty with Egypt and married the Pharaoh's daughter, which was a common way to uh, seal good political ties with other kingdoms. If you know his story, he'll end up having hundreds of wives through these political alliances. But he's got all of those things to think about. And then there's the domestic issues. Israel's a growing nation. The administration of the nation, the taxation, the military, all the court cases, all of the matters of justice. A lot to deal with. And then for Israel, there were also the religious issues. At this point, when Solomon takes over, there is no central location for the worship of the Lord. And that's sort of in disarray when he takes over. There's no temple in Jerusalem. The tabernacle and the priesthood, that's located five miles north of Jerusalem in a city called Gibeon. And the Ark of the Covenant that's supposed to be in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle is being housed back in Jerusalem. So there's no central Location And as you read, everybody's worshiping the Lord up on these high places. These high places in the mountains where the pagan Canaanites who lived before in the land before Israel came out. That's where they would sacrifice and worship all their false gods. Well, the Israelites are worshiping the living God in these high places. But still, they're in high places. And even Solomon's doing that. So, put yourself in that young kid's shoes. You've just become king. All of these international issues, all of these domestic issues, and all of these religious issues. And you're in charge. Well, he did something really, really good. Right here at the beginning. Look at verse 4. It says, now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the what? The great high place. That's where the tabernacle was. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So this is right at the beginning. He goes to where the tabernacle is. A thousand animal sacrifices right there at the altar before the tabernacle in Gibeon. So this is a huge gathering. Lots of people are there. And I think this was Solomon reaching out to God. This is Solomon saying, hey, I'm in over my head. I need help. 
Lord, I offer these sacrifices to you. I'm seeking your face. Help me in my position. And so that night, he's given a wonderful opportunity. Look at verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask! Exclamation point. What shall I give you? Now this is a no holds barred. This is a a limitless request. This is almost like our genie out of the bottle story, right? I'll give you one wish. Only this is real. God is saying to Solomon, whatever you want, ask. And I'll give it to you. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. How do you think a typical 16-year-old boy would answer that? New sports car. A million dollars. The promise of a long life. How would you answer that? What if God woke you up one night and said, whatever you want, just ask. It's yours. How would you respond to that? What would you ask for? Would it be money? Would it be health? Would it be a long life? Would it be rich? Would it be fame? What would it be? Well, look what this young man asked for. Verse 6. And Solomon said... You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David, but I'm a little what? I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? That's impressive. I'm a kid. I'm in over my head. I'm trying to fill shoes that I don't fit in. I've got this great amount of people that I'm responsible to to help and to lead. I got all of this. Here's my one request. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. 
Give me the ability to see clearly between good and evil and to make right judgments on behalf of the people. Well, this pleased the Lord greatly. Verse 10 says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Incredibly pleasing thing to the Lord. And and I want you to see something. This is so very important. There are three characteristics here that Solomon is exhibiting which are so pleasing to the Lord. Characteristic number one, humility. This guy's humble. Here's a guy that says, I don't have it all together. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. This isn't a guy who says, Wow, God, you're so lucky to have me as king. I have so much to offer. Look how talented I am. No. He's humble. Secondly, selfless. He did not ask for riches, did he? He did not ask for the new sports car. Absolutely selfless. And then number three, he has a genuine concern for people. I mean, in his thinking, he's like, I'm in charge of all these people. I want to do good. I want to I, I bless them. I want to take care of them. A genuine concern for the welfare and the benefit of other people. Those three things, listen, those three things are golden. Humility selflessness, and a genuine concern to other people. Listen, God is pleased with those things in your life. God is not impressed with how much money you have. God is not impressed with how many connections you might have. God is not impressed with what family you might come from. God is not impressed with anything that you might have. It's those three characteristics That pleases God. Humility. Selflessness. And a genuine concern for other people. Do you have that in your life? That's what, as Christians, we should have that in our lives. Well, look how God responds. Verse 11. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. I want wisdom. You got it. And he gave Solomon wisdom. Spectacular, supernatural wisdom. Solomon is the wisest man to have ever walked the planet. It says very clearly, none before him could touch him, none afterwards. Not even Einstein or Newton or Aristotle. Or Plato. Supernatural wisdom. 
And then look at verse 13. And I have also given you what you've not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. If you walk my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Isn't God amazing? Isn't he so generous? You ask for wisdom and nothing for yourself. I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm also going to throw in riches and honor and glory. That's beautiful. That principle applies to us, by the way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, but seek first the kingdom of God. How many of you have heard this verse? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Just like what happened here with Solomon. Do you believe that? It is an absolute truth, my brother, my sister in Christ. If you seek first God, if he's first place in your life, and you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he will take care of all the other things in your life. That doesn't mean that you're lazy. That doesn't mean that you sit around all day and I ask, hey, what are you doing? And you say, well, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. No, that doesn't mean you're lazy, undisciplined, not out and working hard and being responsible. You understand the difference, right? You're to be disciplined and you're to be a hardworking person. And all of that in a genuine effort and a goal to seek God and his righteousness and his kingdom. And if you do that, God promises he'll take care of all your needs. And many blessings as well. C.S. Lewis used to say, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Very important principle. Lived out right here in the life of Solomon. Look what God did for him. Well, verse 15, then Solomon awoke, probably pinching himself. Did I really see that? And indeed, it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. So he has this dream. He has this promise. He takes all of his people back to Jerusalem where the ark is. And they have a celebration. And they offer more sacrifices to the Lord. I think Solomon felt really good. I think he felt really strong. God had promised him that he would have wisdom. And in fact, God did give him wisdom. 
And it was proven very quickly with a very difficult case that came his way. Right there in his initial stages, reigning as king. This is a famous case. Look at verse 16. It says, Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Follow this. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. So she arose in the middle of the night, took my son from my side while your maidservant slept, and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son, whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Do you see the details of the case here? I mean, it's her word against the other woman's word. There were no witnesses in the house. There was no CSI Jerusalem. There was no DNA tests, right? There was no photographic evidence. There was no hospital records. Nothing. You got one woman word against another word. That's my son. No, that's my son. This is impossible. Verse 24. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And everybody's probably thinking, what in the world? Why does he ask for a sword? Verse 25, and the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one and half to the other. We'll share the child. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. See, Solomon knew the nature of a mom. Solomon knew by wisdom that any mom would be willing to let her baby live with someone else than be dead. Beautiful case. Beautiful example of wisdom, huh? Everyone found out about it. Look at verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So here, here, here he starts to become famous. His wisdom is becoming obvious 
to everyone. By the way, from this story, there's a picture here that I don't want you to forget, especially for those of you who are asked advice. If there are times in your life as a Christian man or woman, and and probably for all of you, that people come and they ask for counsel, they ask for help. Maybe a real difficult matter like this, a, a marriage issue, a parenting issue, something that's really, really hard and messy to work through. If you're a counselor, if you're one who gets advice, do what Solomon did here. He said what? Bring me the... I'm not saying to go get a real sword. What's this book called? A sword. The word of God. Double-edged sword. If you're ever in a position where you counsel people, where you're going to give advice, bring the sword. Get the Bible. Find out what the word of God says about it. And faithfully give that counsel to other people. This is the truth that sets people free. The better you know your Bible, the better you'll make decisions for your own life, and the better you'll be able to counsel other people because you can bring out the sword. His wisdom becomes very famous. And you see in chapter 4 that he begins to use his wisdom to administer this kingdom. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. So King Solomon was king over all Israel. And these were his officials, Azariah the son of Zadok, the priest. Now there's going to be a whole bunch of other names that I don't know how to pronounce and I don't want you to laugh at me. So I'm just going to look through those first six verses and pick out the titles. Verse 2, there's a priest. Verse 3, scribes. Do you see that at the end of verse 3? A recorder. In verse 4, Benaiah, he becomes the general over the army. Verse 5, there are officers. At the end of verse 5, Nathan is his personal advisor, his friend. Verse 6, there's someone in charge of his household. And at the end of verse 6, there's someone in charge of the entire labor force. Okay, this is like his cabinet. This is like how he structures his kingdom. This is like the central government. It's got his chief of staff, his secretary of state. He's chosen all of these people to come alongside him and help him in these various areas. So... He gets to work and structures his kingdom. Then in verse 7, he goes to the state level, if you want to think about it that way. The district level. Look what he says in verse 7. And Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. Okay, so you got 12 districts. There's governor over each one of these districts, and each district is responsible to pay all of the expenses for the king back home and the military and all of this stuff for one month. Now, what tax rate is that? What's one divided by 12? 8%. That's pretty good, huh? 
That's not too bad. So an 8% tax rate is issued upon these 12 districts. Now, again, I'm not going to read through it, but if you look at it, if you look at, at, at the way it's all organized, out of the box, creative thinking. Remember that in the land of Israel, everyone was in there by tribe, right? 12 tribes. And each tribe had their boundary. They're not split up by tribes here. They're actually divided into districts dependent upon the value of the land. Different areas of land. So the idea is to make every district about the same value. So that no one district would appear to be giving more than another. Absolutely brilliant. Very wise administration. And so he's applying his wisdom to the nation. And he does three very, very important things. Every wise leader should do this. Number one, delegate. Number two, select capable leaders to come alongside you. And number three, this is very important, structure. Order. Put an order, put a structure to your organization, that which you lead. Make sure that you delegate effectively and make sure that you choose the right people to fill the position. This is what Solomon did on a national scale. And this wisdom and this structure and this administration pushed the nation of Israel, into what you could call the golden age of Israel. They became so successful. So beautiful. Skip down to verse 20. This describes the kingdom under King Solomon. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. You have a nation that is multiplying. You have people that are growing economically. There's joy in the nation. Verse 21, it says, So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river of the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Under King Solomon, the nation or the kingdom of Israel, I should say, became the superpower of that region. They're in charge of all of the other kingdoms. The other kingdoms are giving tribute to them. So the nation of Israel is is experiencing and enjoying great, great peace under Solomon. Look at verse 22. This is amazing. It says, now Solomon's provision for one day, this is one day, for feeding all the people at his table on a single day. His provision was 30 cores of fine flour. That is 185 bushels of fine flour or 30 55-gallon drums of fine flour. 60 cores of meal, that's 375 bushels. 10 fatted oxen. 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, 
Robux and fatted fowl. That's quite a spread. One day in the capital of Israel, in the palace of Jerusalem, that would feed 36,000 people every day. That's rich, isn't it? Verse 24, for he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from Tipsaw even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river. And he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. I love this. Each man under his what? Under his vine and his fig tree from Dan as far as Beersheba All the days of Solomon. Dan is way up north. Beersheba is way down south. Every inhabitant of his nation lived under their own fig tree and vine. A sign of great, great prosperity. This would be like everyone in the nation had their own house and their white picket fence. Everyone had their dream. The economy was incredible. The wisdom of Solomon was amazing. Plenty of work, people working, prosperity. Beautiful. Verse 26 says Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And the governor's Each man in his month provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and the steeds, each man according to his charge. So all of the horses, this incredible military, the chariots, all of it financed, all of it taken care of. Beautiful kingdom, huh? Because you have a great king. You have a righteous king. You have a wise king. Proverbs 14 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 29 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Very simple principle. Good king, good country. Bad king, bad country. Righteousness exalts a nation. Well, Solomon got more and more famous. His wisdom grows even stronger. And pretty soon, not only is he helping people in individual cases or his nation, but he helps people from around the world. Look at verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Now, that's the detail that I really like there. Very much... 
wisdom. All this knowledge was given to Solomon, but also a largeness of heart to match. That's really, really important. Have you ever run into smart people with small hearts? You know what I'm talking about? There are a lot of smart people out there, and they're arrogant. You ever run into them? They look at people in disdain. You try to talk to them, and they say, what does this little peon want? And a lot of people in the world are like that. They might be very smart and very intellectual, but their hearts are small. They step on people. They exploit people. They insult people. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived with a large heart. He loved people. He was good to people. It's beautiful. That's what we want to be. Look what it says, verse 30. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all of the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Kalkal, Darda, all those people, the sons of Marhol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke how many proverbs? 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now, the book of Proverbs has about 600 proverbs. He actually wrote well over 3,000. He also wrote 1,005 songs. We have one song in the Bible. What is it? The Song of Solomon. There's over 1,000 more songs that this man wrote. He's a brilliant intellect. Verse 33, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was a botanist, a zoologist, a dendrologist, an ornithologist, an entomologist, an ichthyologist, whatever that means. He knew biology. He knew plants. He knew insects. He knew literature. He knew poetry. He knew administration. He was awesome. One of the greatest men who ever lived. All because he asked. Lord, what do you want? Or Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything. I'd like wisdom. And the kingdom of Israel was at its strongest over King Solomon. Now, for those of you who know the rest of Solomon's life, you know that he kind of ended on a sour note, didn't he? When he got older, all of those wives that he married, he had several hundred wives and several hundred concubines. Now, how do you keep up with all those anniversary 
gifts. <laughs> Craziness, right? And the Bible says that at the end of his life, the wives and their gods, their foreign beliefs, corrupted him. And at the end of his life, he even turned from the Lord and went into idolatry even. And because of that, God sent a prophet to Solomon at the end of his life and says, I'm taking part of the kingdom from you. And you remember, after King Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel will split to Judah and Israel. He lost a good portion of the kingdom. Now, I believe that he fell, he rebelled, but then at the end of his life, he came back to the Lord. And I, and I, and I say that because of a reading of the book of Ecclesiastes, where he talks about how he went after everything that this world had to offer, and it was all vanity. And in the end, he discovered, I need to please God. But he paid a price. And there's something very important to understand from his life. Wisdom does not equal obedience. Wisdom does not equal obedience. God can make you as wise as Solomon. But that doesn't imply that you're going to be obedient. You may know exactly what to do, but you may choose not to do what God tells you to do. So, obedience always plays a significant factor in our walk with the Lord. Okay, there's two principles that I want to leave you with concerning this story. You know, in this story, we marvel at the fact that God would wake up Solomon or come to him in a dream and say, ask. Whatever you want, ask. I say, God would actually say that to something, to somebody. Listen, that's still his heart. Did you know that God still asks you to ask? Did you know that's the heart of God? Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what we're supposed to do. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. In Jeremiah, God says, call to me. And I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. Jesus says in John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. James says you have not because you ask not. Do you realize that you can ask God? Are you a child of God here tonight? Ask him. For stuff. Ask him for things in your life. His heart is still. Ask. Call. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we, we try everything and we forget to simply ask. God, help. Don't you know that God loves you? You're his son. You're his daughter. He's your heavenly father. Ask. Bring your requests and your petitions before God. Know his generous heart. 
another principle that I want you to see very carefully. There is a request that you can ask of God as a child of God that he will always answer in the affirmative. Always. And you know what that is? Wisdom. It says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without proach, and it will be given to him. Listen, if you like Solomon would say to God, I want wisdom. God will give you wisdom. Maybe not spectacular wisdom like Solomon had, but wisdom. That is a prayer that God will answer. Do you believe that? You know, you could be here tonight. And maybe you're you're in a position, maybe you just got promoted. Or maybe you got moved to a different job. Or maybe you're in a situation in life and it's like, Man, I don't, I don't know what to do. Ask God for wisdom. And he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Now, I remember James 1, 5. I, I've known this verse for many, many, many years. I've, that's a promise I've claimed. And I had an inaccurate understanding of that verse where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God. I used to view that as if I ask God for the answer, he's going to give me the answer, the specific answer. So if I'm supposed to go to this job or this job, God's going to write in the sky the name of the job. It's not that. Wisdom is the ability for you to use your God-given brain to look at situations, to look at different things and with wisdom make the decision so it's not necessarily that you wait around asking God for a specific answer and he gives you a specific answer wisdom is God giving you the ability to discern and so if you ask God for wisdom as a a believer in Christ Jesus a situation something that you have to do after you ask him for wisdom, start studying your Bible. Start investigating. Start getting counsel from other brothers and sisters in Christ. And start knocking on doors. God will open the right door. He promises. Pray for wisdom. And then seek it. You know, even wisdom for your job, even wisdom, does God care about our jobs? Does God care about what we do nine to five, Monday through Friday? He most certainly does. He wants you to succeed. God gave Solomon information about botany, zoology, the study of insects. Hey, that's exciting. Did you know that God will give you wisdom in your job? 
in your career? Ask them. God can give you wisdom to navigate a difficulty in your marriage. God can give you wisdom to navigate a difficulty that you're facing maybe with your kids. In a friendship. In a business relationship. Don't take that upon yourself as a child of God. Go to your heavenly father. Amen? Ask him for wisdom. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. I want to close a little early tonight. I want us to spend just a little bit of time in prayer. And first, I'd like us to pray individually. So I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I know that right now, many of you are facing difficulties, decisions. What's my next move, right? What do I do? How do I handle this or that? I want you to have the opportunity right now to ask God for wisdom. The Lord says to you tonight, ask. Ask. So ask. Whatever that is in your life right now. You take a couple minutes right now and you and the Lord and you ask for wisdom.